Ari Rosenbaum here with another fun-filled episode of that 401k podcast. This week's topic, we're going to talk about the mistakes that employers uh, should avoid when they start a 401k plan. We'll talk about my favorite uh, story, one of my favorite stories about my college time when we're describing this stuff. Uh, but of course, first things first, uh, the 401k conference in Phoenix postponed until further notice. Uh, unfortunately, the Major League Baseball players and owners couldn't come to an agreement, thanks to the, uh, in my opinion, the obstinance of the owners. Uh, so we will get a delay on that. We're going to be in a holding pattern with a new date, June 24th, Miami, hopefully. <laughs> Go to that 4 for further information, as well as uh, information on all our events. Um, I'm talking about the mistakes employer should avoid starting a 401k plan. Um, I'm a big fan of the idea that it's important to get off on the right foot if you want to start something. Otherwise, you have a tough time recovering. Uh, when I talk about getting off on the right foot, I, I, I think the better example than the first time I met my mother-in-law, uh, because I, I did recover the fact that she was sitting next to me at the uh, mall uh, um, food court, and uh, I didn't get to look at her because she was to my side and whatever. But I recovered from that. One instance where I just I, I, I just couldn't deal with it. Um, everybody knows with my name, I'm Jewish. Um, I don't think, uh, <laughs> you know, you, I, I think it's harder to have a more Jewish name than, than Ari Rosenbaum, except maybe Hyman Lipschitz or something. I don't know. Um, but uh, when I was at Stonybrook in college, we had orientation. Actually, I'm sorry. The first – it was not orientation. It was the first – I guess it was kind of orientation. It was like the first couple of days before we started college. But I guess it's really more like freshmen running in because I did have an orientation in June. So it was it was like that three or four days before school started. We You know, you go in early. We start after Labor Day. So Labor Day was an off day. So you, you move in on a Saturday and whatnot. And I remember – um, being Jewish, uh, being heavily involved in my synagogue at that time, um, you know, I think the Jewish organization Hillel was something of interest. Um, so I met up with some friends who also happened to be Jewish, and um, there was going to be a Hillel, uh, the Jewish organization, they were going to have a barbecue for... Uh, new students and for returning students. And I think one thing you have to know about me is I don't like being late. I like being on time. I like to be a half hour early uh, if I can be <laughs> sometimes. That's the running joke. I'm always early. Um, don't like to be late. I could count on my hands how many times I've been late. Uh, I remember one time in at Boston University, I didn't make a um, – an interview because I totally screwed up the directions in, in Boston. It was, in I think, in Newton, and I, I didn't know exactly where I had to be, so I, I was completely lost, even though I was like an hour early. But with Hillel, we were waiting on somebody who ended up, over the four years, not being a friend of mine, just a friend of a friend, and we were like 15 minutes late. Uh, we showed up 15 minutes after it started, and... Uh, it was funny because you go to the barbecue and you could see, uh, you know, I'm a big fan of diversity, but quite honestly, I think uh, 
it seemed to be a lot of people who didn't look like they were whole all type. Um, they were just there for the free barbecue. So they were eating hamburgers and hot dogs. And the director of Hillel, who I'm still friends with on Facebook, the rabbi there, uh, gave me what looked like to be a somewhat, you know, stale bagel. And, um, you know, needless to say, I never really was a part of Hillel for the four years I was at Stony Brook. I got involved in other organizations, school newspaper and all that stuff. Um, being a retirement plan sponsor is is obviously a lot bigger when it comes uh, in life and joining Hillel, especially when you factor in the responsibility of being a plan fiduciary. So the point is it's important that a plan sponsor gets off on the right foot and it avoids making a mistake. Because quite honestly, I, if I was involved with Hillel, who knows what might have been based on you know, how I did with you know working in organizations and bringing – uh, people in and, and all that kind of stuff, but uh, it is what it is. But it's always one of my favorite stories of how first impressions mean the most. Uh, getting off on the right foot and, and 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 just doing their doing their thing, because I think once you get off on the right, once you get off the wrong foot, you, it's very very hard to recover. I you know I worked as a TPA uh, as part of a TPA, and you know if we didn't handle the clients correctly at the beginning. It was always going to be shaky. It was never, it never really was a great situation. First things first, uh, a lot of plan sponsors don't understand why they set up the plan in the first place. Uh, they they forget, you know, the point. Um, you know, employers starting a four hundred one k plan, they do it for a variety of reasons. Uh, there's so many reasons to start up one, and they need to really figure out why they did it. Um, you know, why why do they need to know? Because um, it could certainly help them out when it comes to designing all aspects of the plan and the plan, you know, the options that it offers. You know, in my opinion, you set up a 401k plan because it will benefit your employees. It's a great recruitment and retention tool. That's how I see it. And then, of course, the ownership. Uh, they may want a 401k plan because they want a, a formula that's going to help them uh, save more in retirement, has more flexibility, let's, let's say a defined benefit plan or a, a SEP IRA. Next, um, you know, a mistake is not understanding the demographics of their employees. When it comes to 401k plan designs for both salary deferrals and employer contributions, the, you know, an employer really needs to understand the demographics of their employee base. You know, uh, different companies have different demographics. Um, and they can certainly impact whether deferrals and employer contributions can be maximized. You know, uh, we, we like uh, when designing new comparability, uh, a law firm is a hell of a lot better demographically than, um, than a fast food restaurant just because of the salaries of the employees that work there. Um I once taught a CLE class at a, you know, a very respectable Long Island law firm, certainly more respectable than my old firm, a lot bigger too. Uh, you know, uh, the issue uh, that I did at the CLE, I did mention that uh, the, one of the beauties of new comp is that, um, well, one of the beauties of the retirement plan uh, design is that you can discriminate uh you could discriminate against highly compensated employees and law firm associates tend to fit that mold. And so you can have a situation where you just 
zero them out. And, you know, that would help, uh, obviously, on new comparability. It could help on uh, deferrals, on the ADP tests and whatnot. And demographics, you know, obviously support, you know, whether, you know, the employer can afford employer contributions or not. Um, too many employers don't factor in demographics when they set their plan up and, you know, involves compliant headaches later down the line, you know, ADP test failure, ACP test failure, um, failure to maximize contributions to highly compensated employees, all that kind of stuff. Another mistake the plan sponsors make is they forget that a plan sponsor wears two different hats. Um, you know, being an employer also means being, uh, being a plan sponsor also means being a plan fiduciary. Um, you know, a fiduciary is, you know, obviously a person or organization that owes to another the duties of good faith and trust. And, you know, being a fiduciary, I always say, is the highest legal duty of one party to another. You know, when you are responsible for somebody else's money, you have a higher duty of care than you had for your own money. You know, if you want to put all your, you know, nest egg in a double inverse Chinese ETF, you can do that. Uh, you know, as a plan sponsor, you cannot, even if the plan is... Uh, a trustee directed plan. You know, they are responsible, being a plan fiduciary, as a plan sponsor, you're responsible for the retirement assets of employees. Um, you know, like I said, uh, what you do with your own money is one thing. What you do with somebody else's money is totally separate and apart. And obviously, it's important for the plan sponsor as a fiduciary to act in the plan's best interest and not their own. Um, they have to select plan providers that are in the plan's best interest, and, you know, not their own, such as hiring a bank as a plan provider that provides them a line of credit or hiring a relative as the financial advisor. You know, plan sponsors really need to make sure that the fees that the, the plan is paying are reasonable, since that's obviously a duty of being a fiduciary. They really understand, you know, they really need to understand that simple concept. They wear two hats, you know, and quite honestly, uh, I, I worked at a TPA once, and we were on the Fidelity platform. Uh, I'm going to get in trouble with this if the wrong people listen to it. But we were on the Fidelity platform, and I know for a fact that we moved to the Nationwide platform simply because Nationwide told our TPA that um, you know the TPA was working out they would lose their premium pricing if they didn't move assets over to the Nationwide platform, which, you know, I, I'll get in trouble for this, but Nationwide at that time was not on your side. I don't know how they are now. It's not something that really uh, is something that um, I really deal with uh, now. So I, I guess I won't get into trouble. But next, um, another mistake that plan sponsors make, not understanding what plan providers do. And employers really need to understand the role of a financial advisor, the role of a third-party administrator. They need to, you know... They need to understand whether working with a certain TPA, do they also need a record keeper or can the TPA wear both hats? They need to understand that the financial advisor it just doesn't pick funds, that they, you know, they have to sit down with the plan sponsor um, in managing the fiduciary process of the plan and, and helping educate plan participants. Uh, uh, you know, a 401k plan to me is like a precise machine. Uh, it has many moving parts, and a plan sponsor needs to understand how these plan providers work with these moving parts. It's like an engine. Uh, who works with what? How does it, you know, if there's something wrong, what's tripping everything? 
And uh, next mistake is not understanding a plan provider servant fiduciary role. Uh, you you laugh sometimes when people say uh, you know a TPA is complaining uh, the TPA they are complaining about is breaching their fiduciary responsibility. You see lawsuits, you know, Fidelity getting sued or some other TPA getting sued. Uh, you've seen, you know, I've seen the payroll providers get sued. You know, most of the time they are not fiduciaries because not because of their role and and because of their contract. Uh, unless a TPA serves as a three sixteen administrator or does something that you know makes them a fiduciary. In my opinion, you know, plain loan approval is a problem. They usually aren't going to be a fiduciary. Uh, employers are plan sponsors. They need to know what a fiduciary role. Uh, if any, that their plan providers are serving, they need to understand that their TPA, who just serves as a TPA, isn't, you know, is responsible for errors, but ultimately it is the plan sponsor that has got to have the duty to fix this mess. Um, and unfortunately, that happens quite a bit. TPA screws up, plan sponsor has to fix it, and they complain about it. Oh, like, you know, yeah, you could, you know, get a TPA under a breach of contract lawsuit. Lawsuits aren't fun, especially when you pay the bills and deal with the delays in the courts, especially, you know, state court, federal court. It's not fun. Uh, you know, they need to understand. Plain sponsor needs to understand the financial advisor. Are they a co-fiduciary or are they a 338 fiduciary? It's not just important for the new plan sponsor to identify what the plan providers do. It, they really need to know what kind of fiduciary role they serve because it's all about liability protection. Uh, if you understand that your TPA is not responsible for the messes and you are, you know, I think you're going to be more vigilant about what the TPA does. That's, that's how I see it, you know, uh, and I, I think it's important that they understand that. Another mistake, probably get in trouble for it, but I think dealing with a bundled provider directly and alone. Um, there are many employers who want to start a 401k plan. They put the cart before the horse by dealing directly with a bundle provider without hiring a financial advisor and or a risk attorney first. You know, um, I understand, um, you know, why they might want to hire a Fidelity or a Vanguard or whatnot. The, the problem that I see is that plan sponsors don't really understand, um, that's when they get into a mess where you know they have a fund, they have a they have fund lineup, and it's all fidelity funds, and there's no financial advisor on the plan. Um, I think it's important that financial advi uh, I, I think it's important for plan sponsors to work with uh, you know a financial advisor and or ERISA attorney when dealing with a bundle provider. Uh, there are payroll providers out there. Uh, they have no qualm about working with a plan that has no financial advisor, giving them a fun lineup, and just saying, go. Uh, I think that there's a problem. I think any plan out there that is covered on the ERISA that doesn't have a, you know, a financial advisor working on it is breaching their fiduciary duty. You know what? Uh, I can pick a fun lineup. I'm sorry to the financial advisors out there. I could pick a fun lineup too. Uh, but... I won't handle uh, being the advisor on a plan when I'm not properly licensed, when I don't have the proper background, and more importantly, you see it when you know participants need education. And my views of the financial uh, investing space is probably a lot different than somebody who's actually had the training. Uh, that's why I don't give financial advice because you know <laughs> it's not my job. 
I, I, I do what I was trained to do, and uh, I wasn't trained to be a financial advisor on the plan. You know, I, I think I, I think you know the problem that I see is uh, you know plan sponsors don't really understand the role of bundle providers, the costs involved, and some of the drawbacks that there are with working a bundle provider, which again um, can work out. But with some bundle providers, if you're coming into a plan with zero assets, uh, the plan may be paying through the nose for that kind of service. So I think it's important to you know, when seeking out a bundle provider or a payroll provider, it should be based on guidance provided by a financial advisor or risk attorney who knows whether bundled or unbundled TBA is the best choice for a plan sponsor. Last but not least, I again, I always go back to Pat and my law firm, uh, ERISA 404C. If you don't review the funds over a 10-year period, you don't give education to plan participants, you will not get much liability protection. And I think that plan sponsors don't understand that. Uh, there was a really great push for um, participant direction back in the late 90s, early 2000s, uh, when you know mutual funds were Janus 20 was you know returning 70%. Those were great days. Uh, we don't live in those days anymore. Uh, not everything's on the up and up in terms of uh, you know rates of return. I think that. Uh, you know, plan sponsors need to understand that ERISA 404C is a process. Uh, it's not a suicide pact, meaning that if a plan sponsor like my old law firm doesn't have a prudent investment process in place, uh, gives no guidance to employees, doesn't review funds over a 10-year period, there is very, very limited protection. ERISA 404C, the way I see it, it's not a suicide pact, it's the measuring stick. The more a uh, plan sponsor is diligent in the process of the fiduciary component of the plan. That means sitting with the advisor, developing investment policy statement, uh, reviewing funds to make sure they still fit within those bounds of that IPS, uh, and giving participants enough information for them to make informed investment decisions as required by ERISA 404C. Uh, you know, they need to understand that, you know, the more protection, the more you do on the risk of force, the more protection you get. It's not all or nothing. It's a sliding scale. And I think that's important for plan sponsors to realize that and realize that, you know what, uh, if you still have these funds that were the darlings of the 1990s in your fund lineup uh, and they've been out of favor for 20 years, uh, they're I una problema. That's probably the only Spanish I know. Four years of, uh, three years of high school Spanish. But I think the plan sponsors need to understand uh, the problems by, um, you know, not adhering to a prudent process. And I think that, that is, in my opinion, uh, the one Achilles heel for most plan providers out there, for, mo for most small, uh, medium-sized plans. That is their Achilles heel. Um, you know, everybody talks about costs. Uh, cost is subjective. I think that uh, not providing information and, and not having enrollment meetings and education uh, meetings are really the biggest problem that plan sponsors are going through right now. I think everybody wants to talk about cost. Um, I think, you know, when we deal with, uh, with what the Department of Labor has been trying to do for the last few years, I think that that's the one topic that I 
have been talking about for years and years and years. And of course, I made the HR director of my old law firm uh, the butt of my jokes for years and years and years. And kind of awkward the couple times I did see her after I left. Uh, you know, one time in the uh, one time at a kids' soccer game because I think her grandkids go to my go to schools in my area. And uh, when I was in the elevator um, at the old law firm building, which is very odd that it's the same same office building as my allergist. So, you know, you always caution, you know, who you walk into a elevator with. And needless to say, uh, I went into the elevator with her, and if looks could kill, I'd be dead. But, you know, it's part of the shtick. Uh, that story is part of my shtick and part of my story and whatnot. But anyway, hope you enjoyed this episode of That 4K Podcast. Go to that4ksite.com for that Miami event, which we hopefully will have... We'll see if the players and owners can finally agree to a just uh, collective bargaining agreement. So uh, until next time, Ari Rosenbaum signing off. Take care. Bye.